Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Jason Nichols. Um, Jason is, it's interesting because in some ways he's like um, a kindred spirit with you <laughs> because, you know, you do the show with Sager and the whole original idea of the show is here's a guy we don't really agree or see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we do a show together and we flesh out the issues. He, I, I believe he did a, a similar show, might still do, with The Daily Caller. Right. Um, and then I saw him on Newsmax the other day, which, of course, is definitely the lion's den for a lefty. And there was a the panel erupted over Jordan Neely's killing. Mm. And I think he did a phenomenal job basically jousting with three people who disagreed with him at the same time, including Carrie Lake. Yeah, there's no easy feat. I've also when I was first starting off in media, I did a lot, a lot of Fox News. So I'm very familiar with the dynamic. And it's not just that, you know, you have an ideological opponent there, but also when you're in on like enemy terrain like that. There are all sorts of ways that the host can can cut you off, can go to commercial, can change the topics on you that make the landscape even more difficult than just having, you know, a direct exchange. So he acquits himself very well. I'm interested to hear, you know, his philosophy of why he wants to go into these spaces, what he hopes to accomplish and how he approaches it. Yeah, I mean, the typical idea of the lefty that gets on right wing media, it's like Alan Combs. Right. They're there to be like a punching bag. I'd like to please maybe disagree, but ever so slightly. Don't right. hit me, please. Yeah. It's like that, but yeah. no, this is not that. He's not that. So anyway, um, so before we get to that, though, there's a bunch of stuff that uh, we wanted to share with you guys. By the way, this is the first time we're doing Oh, yeah. Together. We should talk about we're married Since now. We got married. <laughs> but bad news, we're divorced, too. <laughs> we ended it after a week. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, yeah, that was crazy. It was uh, quite an experience. The it was. It feels. It feels very surreal. Like you, there was like a different state of consciousness that was going on in that moment with the ceremony. And yeah, everything. it was all a blur. It was very all a blur. So. It was very like you know you go from one thing to the next thing that it flies by like that. The timing of the wedding. Yeah, you know, I've been at other people's weddings and you sit there and it takes forever and you, you feel like, like okay. When it's yours, it's just you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to go there, you got to go there, and it's like you know you don't have time to really soak it in. Yeah, for sure. Which is part of why I'm really excited, like to get the photos back to kind of go through and like. There's gonna be like thousands of photos. Like there. leisurely yeah. remember the various details of the day, but it was beautiful, baby, and yeah, your emotions was... were very moving. Stop it. It's true. Stop it. It's true. Everybody. He made so many, like, not only did he cry, he made so many people cry there. <laughs> Everybody started tearing up when Kyle got emotional. It's true. It's true. Apparently, um, I don't know who, who it was that asked my mom, like, is he going to cry beforehand? Yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a little surprising to me. Really? She, she so it's funny because like Corin had the opposite, right? That's what right? I was going to say next is that yeah. somebody asked Corin, is he going to cry? And Corin was like, no. And so you had these two people who both obviously know me very well in different ways. You know, and they had total different. I didn't. I didn't know what to expect. To be honest, I didn't know if I was. Gonna I thought you were going like to cry that. personally. I thought you were. And um, uh, our eldest daughter Ella, fifteen year old, she was like, "If you don't cry when you're marrying my mom, you're in trouble." So yeah, but then you know what? It's sort of <laughs> messed up because after that, where I cried the whole goddamn time, she never came up to me and was like, "You passed right, the you, test." You passed the test. Od, <laughs> like you cried maybe a little too much. She didn't give me that. I was waiting for that moment of satisfaction. Like, all right, come on. Give me my give me my flowers. Let's go. Yeah. Anyway, it was beautiful. Um, and it was, you know, an amazing day. Honeymoon was beautiful and nice to be back with all of you. Lovely people here as well. Indeed. All right. So um tell me about this new absolute fluff job. You're gonna love this. On I think I'm going to the opposite of love. <laughs> it. That's what I think. <laughs> go ahead. I, I this I mean it you could not 
make it more ridiculous if it was actually parody, this piece I'm about to tell you about. So Wired Magazine. Which, by the way, I didn't think of them as like an establishment rag. I Me did neither. Not think of them as... I've, I've consumed their journalism in the past and found it perfectly yeah, adequate. So this is like, like really out of left field. I thought they were like techie. You know what I mean? That's their thing. Right. Yeah. So, so I don't know where this came from, but it is really something. So they sent out this tweet. First of all, the photo of him, it's very, like, GQ and very, like, artistically done. Did you say it was Pete Buttigieg yet? I don't think we did. Oh, sorry. This is about Pete Buttigieg. Okay. <laughs> so, photo of Pete Buttigieg, very GQ, very artistically done. And they sent out this tweet that says, With a remarkable blend of intellect and empathy, Pete Buttigieg brings a fresh perspective to the forefront of public discourse. And if you didn't think that was bad enough, so the actual headline of the piece is, Pete Buttigieg loves God, beer, and his electric Mustang. Sure, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation has thoughts on building bridges, but infrastructure occupies just a sliver of his voluminous mind. It goes on. Okay, I'm not cherry picking here. I'm going to read you the first two paragraphs um, of this piece because it sets the tone for the whole thing is like this. The curious mind of Pete Buttigieg holds much of its functionality in reserve, even as he discusses railroads and airlines down to the pointless data that is his current stock and trade. The U.S. Secretary of Transportation comes off like a Mensa black card holder who might have a secret go habit or a three second Rubik's Cube solution or a knack for supplying off the top of his head the day of the week for a random date in 1404, along with the non-condescending history of the Julian and Gregorian. Gregorian calendars. As Secretary Buttigieg and I talked in his underfurnished corner office one afternoon in early spring, I slowly became aware that his cabinet job requires only a modest portion of his cognitive powers. Other mental facilities, no kidding, are apportioned to the Iliad, Puritan historiography, and Nosgaard's spring, though not in the original Norwegian slacker. Fortunately, he was willing to devote yet another apse in his cathedral mind to making his ideas about three mighty themes, neoliberalism, masculinity, and Christianity, intelligible to me. It goes on like this. I kid you not. This is a dude who just on the basic, pure facts of the situation has been one of the worst secretaries of transportation in history has been one of the worst cabinet secretaries, if not the worst cabinet secretary in Joe Biden's administration. This is a person who is incredibly powerful. And you're doing this weird celebrity, like intellectual masturbation, trying to show how smart you are, how smart they are throwing out every long word in this hagiographic hey puff piece. It is. I'm actually astonished by this one. It shows how biased the media is. You know, you think it's just it's <laughs> but it, it's like it's so extreme. It's so in your face. And then these are the people that have the nerve to pretend like, what do you mean? We're just like objective. We're just like doing our. No, not. There's nothing about this that's objective. They should look. Just wear it on your sleeve. Number one, you're not a journalist. You're a commentator. That's fine. But say it right. Number two, be upfront with who you support and why. You know, hey, I'm, I'm like standard establishment Democrats. I think yeah. centrism is the way to go. Like if you come as advertised, then it's a different conversation. You say, hey, this is an opinion piece and here's where my my allegiance is. And that's totally fine. But they don't do that. And this is like it, it's it's a puff piece masquerading as, you know, serious discussion. And it's just it's gross. Right. And, you know, somebody like me. I, I wear on my sleeve who I support, why I support them, et cetera. I'm upfront with my ideology. And if yeah. you do that, then all of a sudden everything's fine. But right. they don't but, they refuse to do that part of it. But it goes even worse, even beyond that, because like 
as much as we appreciated Bernie Sanders and cheered for him and his like, I would never write a piece like this about Bernie Sanders. And you I still ask never, him tough questions when you interviewed when him. When I interviewed him, yes, because I care about the issues. I care about what he would do with his power. This is someone running for president of the United States at the time. And then the last time I interviewed, this is someone who's chair of the budget committee. You know, you you ask this person tough, difficult questions about what they intend to do with the power that they have. This, it reminds me of what Irony always talks about, which is politics has become this like field of actualization for where we're just all supposed to be there in service of people like Pete Buttigieg realizing their personal self-actualization and their dreams. Like that's, this is like celebrity treatment of someone who has really screwed up in a number of ways. I mean, where are the questions about failing to hold the airline industry to account and find them in the way that Bernie and others suggested? Where are the questions about how you screwed up the rulemaking for freight railroads? And that's part of why you ended up with this East Palestine catastrophe of which you could barely be bothered to focus on for weeks until the media shamed you into it. Where are the questions about your role in terms of blocking railroads, um, railroad workers from getting just the basics of like paid leave and having some um, control and power in their workplaces? This, I, I just... It really is shocking to me because it it goes so far beyond even just having an ideological bias, which is one thing. It's the whole view of politics and how you should approach people in power that is deeply damaging, disturbing and grotesque. Follow celebrities or follow sports. Yeah, go, right. Go do something. Kardashian. Go do something where your opinion actually matters where, you know, you can have a take on who's the best shooting guard in the NBA, or you can have a take on which reality show is the best reality show, but that's all fluff and nonsense, and you're welcome to opine in areas like that. When it comes to politics, if you're not going to do serious discussion on the policy stuff, step aside. We don't need you. We don't I, need you to... I don't to, care what Pete Buttigieg thinks about masculinity. No, and you by the way, position, position what are they trying to do there? What are you going to do with it? What are they trying to do there, Crystal? They're trying to, like, almost like hit all of the the issues today that are sort of have blown up like the jordan peterson type issues mm -hmm. of like masculinity and they link in religion and they link in philosophy they're trying to it's just through lying they're trying to puff this man up and act like he's you know with the times very current has struck a nerve but they have to fake it because he's not actually doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's so sad. And then... I wonder if even he has to be embarrassed. <laughs> no, I don't think... You see, Cavernous that's interesting mind. you say that. No, I think... The only thing I remember him with ca oh, with a cave is the wine cave. Sorry, yeah. cathedral-like mind. Or you remember the wine cave? You remember the wine cave? Of course he was I remember the yeah. wine cave. <laughs> that's the only cave thing that you need to talk about vis-a-vis <laughs> um, Pete Buttigieg. But no, I think he reads something like this. And he's like, yeah, nailed it. This is, this is right. He clearly has a high opinion of himself. Anybody who, you know, uh, gets down on their knees and worships him, he's going to be he's going to be open to. Well, and here's the thing, too, is they're like, oh, well, being secretary of transportation, this is only a small sliver of his cavernous mind. Well, that's whatever. a fucking problem, even well, if that was true. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do your fucking job. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe right. You should be, yeah. Uh, maybe you should be occupying more of your cathedral like mind because you certainly aren't doing an effective job at it. So that's a little bit of a problem. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And like you said, I, I didn't expect it from Wired. I was that was no, that was out of nowhere. And it's not just uh, the journalist who I uh, her name is Virginia Heffernan, just so you guys know. Um, but whoever tweeted this out with this gross, like, 
um, you know, remarkable blend of intellect and empathy. That's embarrassing. The whole thing is it's it is literally the most embarrassing profile of a politician I have ever read. They love corporate Democrats. They love media branding. Like you said, it's the actualization of identity politics. Yeah. It has nothing to do with serious stuff. Right. And trying to pretend like they're, oh, they're so smart and he's so smart. And I'm so smart because I understand how smart he is. <laughs> yeah. it's like, if you really have to <laughs> lean into it that hard, yeah. you're not as intelligent as you're trying to persuade us all that you are. Indeed. All right. So um, Ron DeSantis just signed a new, he's been signing laws left and right in an attempt to try to like one up Trump, mm -hmm. however he feels like he can. Correct. And what he's what he realized is, oh, if I try it on policy, if I outright wing him on policy, right. maybe I'll get ahead. That's right. And so he's been law after law after law, very draconian. Six week abortion ban, for example. That's a big deal. It's a very conservative law when he previously wouldn't sign. Now he's doing it so he could go to Trump and say, aha, I, I really have the pro-lifers on my side. He did a very harsh immigration law recently, which is having some backlash as well. You know, you name the issue. He's been moving to the right guns. He had some insane gun law that I covered on my show not too long ago. Well, now, shock, Ron DeSantis always ends up get, getting back to the culture war because that's what he does. Yeah. But apparently he just signed a new law um, allowing trans kids to be taken from their families. So this is what they say in the New Republic. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill Wednesday that will let the state take transgender minors away from their families if they are receiving gender-affirming care. The new law will allow the state to take custody of a child if they have been subjected to or are threatened with being subjected to. Interesting caveat there. Right. Gender-affirming care, which includes puberty blockers and hormone replacement therapy. Florida courts could modify custody agreements from a different state if the minor is likely to receive gender affirming care in that second state, the text refers to gender affirming care as sex reassignment prescriptions or procedures and qualifies this care as a form of physical harm. And medical facilities would have to give the State Department of Health a signed attestation that they neither provide gender affirming care to any patients under the age of 18 nor refer people to provide to providers that do and their medical license would basically be uh, revoked if they, they violate this. This is not only an outrageous assault on trans people, it's an out outrageous assault on medicine and what evidence-based medicine says is appropriate treatment for um, people who are trans identifying. And it also, you know, I always bring this up, but I think it's a really important point. With uh, puberty blockers, I mean, these have been given for years to girls who have early onset puberty. So what does this mean for them? You know, our, and we already see like with the abortion bans and the restrictions that are put in, like for the life of the mother, how nervous doctors are about performing these procedures because they don't want to run afoul of the law. So doctors are not going to be willing to prescribe puberty blockers, certainly for trans kids, but also for girls who have early onset puberty, who this would be routinely prescribed in and has been for years with no problem for many years. So, yeah, I mean, the politics of this are very clear. He thinks his lane and his path to a potential Republican nomination runs through like basically an assault on trans people, gay people, um, women seeking abortions, any other right wing culture war issue, book bannings that he can possibly throw against the wall. So correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't do bottom surgery on any like kids, right? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, there, it's got it's like 18 or above or something like that I mean, in order for bottom surgery to get done. Yeah. So it, then hold on. Yeah, these, these measures that we're talking about here are softer interventions. And a point you make all the time is it's to give these kids the the opportunity to to, hey, do I actually want to do this? 
Right. So if you're, let's say you're, um, you're born biologically male, but you're, you identify as female. If you go through puberty as a male, well, then that your gender dysphoria just got ramped up 10 times, 20 times. All of a sudden you got facial hair, you got a rigid jawline, you got hair on your private, whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, so to do puberty blockers or to do hormones, it's like, Hey, let's figure out if this is really the right course for you. Step number one is going to be to block puberty. And then we'll see how you feel after a year or two or whatever. And then you decide from there. And then the other thing is like, what percentage of kids are actually trans anyway? So for the people that the, the trans kids who actually go through the process, like and, and talk to a medical professional and figure out if this is what they want to do. It's such a tiny percentage. And the ones who get to the point where they're going to do uh, some sort of hormone treatment or whatever Clearly, this is something that's been thought out between the doctor, the family, the individual. Yeah. And this is the heavy hand of the government being like, no, we're not going to let you do that. That's right. Because, look, I understand in theory, people want to make the argument in theory, hey, you know, should kids that young be making a decision? I understand where they're coming from. That doesn't sound crazy to me. But when you actually look at the numbers and you realize that the way we do it now is on a case by case basis with a lot of care given right. It's like, well, who are you to really intervene and say, I object to that? It doesn't matter if you object to that. If the parents are okay with it, if the kid desperately wants it, if a therapist is convinced the kid desperately wants it, if the medical professional is saying, hey, let's do this soft intervention, not a hard treatment, not a bottom surgery, but some hormones, whatever, puberty blockers, whatever it is, who are you to step in and be like, no, I, I don't agree with that? That's right. It's it's very author authoritarian. Um, like I said, it's, it's anti-medicine. There's this view that's propagated on the right that there are, you know, parents who are like forcing their kids for because they want their own like woke points of having a trans yeah, it's kid. the bad thing, right? Right. They're, well, it's that the parents are ideological and they're pushing their kids into this. That's one point of view um, that that they're you know that they push. There's also this idea that it's done really casually, that there's no yeah. process. In I woke place. up yesterday and wanted to chop my dick and balls off. Right. Or that or, you know, with with that, with young children just show up at a at a doctor's office and are like, give me hormones. And it just happens like that. Like there is an established procedure. It's lengthy. Some would say it's too lengthy, but it's considered it is not a, you know, snap of the uh, snap of the moment decision that's being undertaken. And as you point out, puberty blockers, part of what why they're important is to give people a, a window so that there is more of a time for development and really understanding if this is the right direction for them, et cetera. I agree with you that I, I don't want to pretend like these are easy decisions to make and what age to do it. And there are risks involved and, you know, puberty blockers. OK, you stop taking puberty blockers. You go through pu puberty. It's not a big deal. Hormones, there are more longer term permanent ch changes that aren't aren't reversible. And certainly when you start talking about surgical interventions, that's a whole other thing. So I don't want to pretend like these are easy decisions. That's exactly why it should be left to kids and parents and medical professionals, not fucking idiots at you know who are in government who have an ideological agenda and i feel very much with this the way that i feel about a woman's right to choose which is like yeah these these issues are challenging to work through and that's why there is no one better to be in position to make these choices than like the people who are involved in consultation with their doctor yeah but and and it's again the stakes here are taking the kids from their families yeah if it was just hey we're gonna block this but that's it that's a different conversation. This is, no, not only are we going to block it, we're also just going to take the kids from their families. That's, uh, you know, above and beyond. Yeah. That's and above and beyond. And that's also, totally authoritarian. Yes. 
And there's also stuff in here about like, we're not going to let teachers use um, different pronouns from whatever the gender was at birth. <laughs> Again, it's like incredibly authoritarian and draconian. I mean, you know, it it's really obvious at this point that any free speech um, type concerns that they claim to have, like they've gone so authoritarian in the, over, in the other direction above and beyond what, you know, any of the sort of like cancel culture stuff that they complain about is. Some states are cracking down on adults. They're doing it up to age like 26. Yeah. So you can't have any sort of intervention even up to age 26, which is like that. I mean, that should be one that we all agree on. Is That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know, well, we talked on Breaking Points to a political reporter for uh, Semaphore who has been in the field. She's covering primarily the DeSantis and Trump campaigns. And um, I we asked her, like, what is DeSantis's theory of the case? And, you know, how is he positioning himself? And she said very clearly, like, his goal is to get the, to the right of Trump on every issue. And so that's where this legislation it's comes from. It's not going to work. And right, because he's it's not going to work. It's about vibes. He doesn't have the vibes. That's correct. Right. That is correct. And I mean, you see that in the polling. Like people are huge fans of Trump. They love Trump. It's really not an ideological nope. play, consistent ideological play. It never has been. So for him to come in here with like, here's my list of bills that I passed. Right. Technically it's like, under nerd. The right. Get exactly. out, go make another weird face, nerd. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's grotesque the way that he uses people as pawns for his political game. And again, we're not, the, here's the thing. They, they try to gin up this idea that like four-year-olds are casually transitioning. Right. And it's like, that's just not true. That's not true. Right. And I'm talking about confiscating kids. Really? You're telling me if there's a 17-year-old? who's been expressing gender dysphoria for years and they talk to a medical professional and their family's okay with it and they feel better when they're under the treatment, you're going to step in and say no and we're going to separate you from your family? Come on, man. Yeah. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, and they've gone way beyond anything that, you know, public opinion would justify. It's all about playing to a very extreme base. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. So now without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview. This is Jason Nichols. Jason Nichols, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm a fan of both of yours. So thank you. And I'm a fan of you as well. So uh, I actually just covered on the Kyle Kalinske show a moment of yours. Uh, So you have been on Newsmax recently and um, it was you, Carrie Lake and two other conservatives. So it was three versus one. The topic of conversation was Jordan Neely. And I thought you did a really phenomenal job pushing back on them because they all have the exact same opinion. And you're really in the lion's den and you did, did a phenomenal job uh, pushing back on them. So, you know, maybe the right way to start this conversation is actually to loop in Crystal because you guys have something in common, which is, you know, you do a show daily with Sagar and there's some areas of agreement, but there's plenty of areas of disagreement. Right. Not only were, were you on Newsmax where it's the lion's den, but you also had a show not too long ago on the Daily Caller where it's a similar vibe where you have to go back and forth with a with a conservative. So what's your. What's your approach in these conversations? Because half the time I feel like, hey, let's build bridges. Let's talk about where we agree. But then the other half the time I feel like, no, I don't want to mislead people into thinking I agree with this person. Let's fight it out. So, like, how do you approach it? How do you uh, get into these conversations? Well, I think the, the, the main thing is from the very beginning, my approach has been uh, to not allow for there to be echo chambers, to try to bring in disagreement, to try to actually have conversations. And I thought at one point that it was possible to actually sway people. You know, um, I remember, I think it was Obama or somebody who said that, you know, 10% of conservatives are persuadable. And there have been times, you know, like I said, I, I started out on Tucker Carlson tonight 
And there have been times where I've gotten emails where people have said, you know, you really made me think about this issue. You know, thank you for coming on. And, and that's kind of fueled to continue to have these conversations. Unfortunately, they're not always fair, uh, but, you know, life isn't fair. And, and I think it's great what, what Crystal and Sagar do, uh, you know, to, for them to actually hash out some things. And then you sometimes find points of agreement. But my approach has always been to kind of break up the echo chamber, to make Americans speak to other Americans so that we can actually see where we disagree, where we agree, and where our values are. And that's obviously something I, I really believe in as well. Although I have to say, you know, especially in settings like Fox News, or I've never been on Newsmax, but, you know, kind of similar vibe over on Newsmax. Sometimes I would, I did, a, I've done a lot of Fox News appearances. Sometimes I'd feel like, okay, I was able to like make my point and maybe there were people that heard something different from me that they hadn't heard before. And sometimes it felt very hopeless. Like, why am I doing this? You know, this is all completely rigged. So do you go through the similar cycle of like hope and despair and, um, you know, feelings of futility that I experienced when I was in that realm? Well, let me just say uh, for every email that I got, particularly when I was on Fox News, less so on Newsmax, oddly enough, but when I was on Fox News, uh, for every email that I got that someone said, hey, you made a great argument, I got 20 emails calling me the N-word and telling oh. me they want to kill me. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh so, Jesus wow. Christ. You know, a, you know, you have to go through that. But one thing I won't let them do is back me down. You know what I mean? Like, so part of that started to also be, uh, I have to be in these spaces. I can't let them think that emails and threats and like things like that are going to make me cower uh, and not give my thoughts on it. There are times where I thought it was futile, particularly um, going on a show like you mentioned Sean Hannity. Uh, I think the only word I got out when I when I went on Sean Hannity's show was, well, Sean. Oh, so I got to, uh, and then it was just like, I never got another word in <laughs> He's so particularly bad like, about that. I And he's good at using like the tricks you have available to you as an anchor and a cable news anchor to cut you off, go to commercial break, change the topic you think you're going to be talking about, you know, just kind of railroad you above and beyond any sort of real of real ideological debate. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, your politics, about how you came to be in this game, about your approach to it. Just tell us a little bit about your journey here. Yeah, I think my politics are, are well, I think they're interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I think I, I'm a relatively recent, you know, I always get listed as Democratic analyst. Um, that's a little complicated because I'm a relatively new Democrat. And actually, uh, I did not vote, um, or I, I wasn't registered as a Democrat until I believe 2018 after what happened with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, I, I was a, a supporter of Bernie Sanders. And I thought that, you know, if I want to make a difference, I have to be able to vote in primaries. Now, granted, I live in a state where the primary is so late that it really doesn't make a huge difference. But so that's when I, I registered as a Democrat. And you know, I worked on a campaign of somebody that I largely disagree with now, even though that person is still someone I consider to be a friend. Um, I'd worked with Tulsi Gabbard on her campaign, um, wrote some speeches for her because I really agreed with her foreign policy at the time. Um, that's, you know, obviously we have serious disagreements now. 
Um, I have some beliefs that are, I think on a global scale, I would consider myself a centrist because me too, me too. Our Overton window in the U S is so skewed, right? Yeah. Um, you take someone like Bernie Sanders, for example, on a global scale, he's, he's barely left at all. You know what I mean? Like if you go to Europe, his ideas are completely mainstream. Um, but coming from where I come from, uh, and you know, having the parents that I had, like, I believe that we should have uh, uh, free utilities or utilities that are con- uh, carried by the state. I believe that uh, we should have free health care in this country or, or health care that is negotiated by the state um, for every human being in the United States. I also believe I, you know, I also want to be rich one day. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I also want to have money, but I also think that they should tax, we should be able to tax wealth and you, we should lower the estate tax even more. You can't die on the system. Um, so, you know, some people might say that I have socialist leanings. I also don't hate Democrats like some of my friends do. You know, I know a lot of my friends are like ardent Joe Biden haters, and I'm I'm not there, to be honest. Like, I don't hate the guy. I don't love the guy either, but there are things that he's done that an approach that I agree with, and um, things that I think he hasn't fought hard enough for or doesn't prioritize that I would. Um, so that's basically where my, my politics lie. So on that last point, yeah, I mean, I think reasonable people look at the system and they think like, it's the lesser of two evils. Who's the lesser of two evils? And originally my belief was, well, when I first started in politics, it was very much like Democrats are good. Republicans are bad. That was like the the starting position. Yeah. Then it became Democrats are a lesser evil. Republicans are a greater evil. Then it became like they're kind of an equal evil. And now I've come back to I think they're a lesser evil. I think Joe Biden is by far the best president of my lifetime. But I also feel like that's like being the tallest kid in kindergarten. That's not that much because all these people compared to like FDR's economic proposals, they I mean, he proposed the Economic Bill of Rights. This is a guy who did the New Deal. And you have somebody like Joe Biden and he does, you know, tweaks around the edges, which I don't want to downplay. Right. Like, I think the IRA is definitely better. The Inflation Reduction Act is definitely better than nothing. But um, ultimately, uh, I land in a, in a similar place to you where I do view the Democrats as the lesser evil. Um, but I view my job as trying to make them better, in a sense, with whatever I could do in this media space. But uh, I want to get back to sorry to go back to the original topic, but it's something I'm genuinely interested in a lot. Um how do you approach it? Like, so you talked about going on Hannity. Hannity is a, is a good example. It might be nice off air, whatever, nice guy or whatever. But I view him as just like a talking point spewing machine. Yeah. I don't view him really like I don't even know what Hannity really believes. I think he's playing a character. I think he's like Republican G.I. Joe man that they put on air and he, you pull the string and he says the same things. You know what I mean? Freedom, low taxes. So <laughs> how do you how do you uh, navigate talking to an honest actor versus a dishonest actor. Because from my perspective, I just default assume everybody's an honest actor and treat them at face value. But I think that's a flaw of how I approach people because there are times where I should not be taking somebody seriously. And if I'm not taking them seriously, perhaps I'd be more aggressive in a conversation. But I default to assuming good intentions. How do you navigate that? Do you think about that at all? Is this person honest, dishonest? Does that change how you engage with them? Yeah, I mean, it it was... So that actually happened to me last night when I was 
I was on and we were discussing, you know, immigration and uh, the southern border. And, you know, it was tough because I was debating somebody who was the head of CBP. But I felt like there were certain points, number one, where it wasn't necessarily an honest conversation. And there were times where it was just like, let me talk over you and not allow you to get your point out. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who comes from an academic background where, you know, that's almost considered weakness. You know what I mean? To, to talk over somebody, to not allow them to state their opinion. Um, it, it almost shows like you are, you don't have confidence in your own views. Um, so it, it's a difficult thing to approach. Um, so I usually try to come in believing everybody to be arguing something from a position of, of good faith. Um, I think that's important, honestly. I think we should assume that people do believe what it is that they're stating. So like when I debate someone on, um, on abortion, for example. Um, I was on a show uh, called The Hill Rising. I think Crystal knows a little, may have heard. <laughs> a little familiar, a little familiar with it. Heard Only of it. launched it. Heard of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in that conversation, I, one of the things that I said was, I'm going to take it uh, at face value that you really do believe life begins at conception, that you really are consider, you, you know, believe that, um, you're saving lives, um, but here's the issue. And then I would go and talk about it from my perspective. Um, I think it's I think it's important if you want to actually. It's like is your goal to win the argument, or is your goal to actually try and make change? Hmm. And there are ways to win arguments. And and we, you talked about it with Sean Hannity sp spouting off a bunch of talking points, talking over people, yelling, all of that. Um, you can you can look like you won an argument and the YouTube clip will say, you know, Jason Nichols destroys Kyle Kalinske and it'll have <laughs> destroys Bolton and all of that. You can do that um, or you can have an honest conversation um, and try to reach reasonable people and maybe even reach your opponent to rethink things. There have been people who have made me rethink some some ideas that I've had, um, you know, from looking at mainstream media and maybe not being fully informed. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like having to work with, um, I shouldn't say having to, it's my choice. I'm, I'm honored and delighted to work with Sagar every day. He's been an amazing, um, you know, partner and colleague for years now. Um, but being there with him in the planning process has definitely kept me sort of honest about my own views because I can't be intellectually lazy because I know I have someone on the other side who is operating in good faith, but who is also highly intelligent and has different worldview than I do. So I, I do feel like it has made me better, firmer, more thoughtful in my own convictions to be, you know, rubbing up against that ideological dissonance, um, you know, on a, on a, literal daily basis. I wonder in this conversation about like, you know, platforming and there's all this freak out about like CNN platforming Trump, which actually I'd be, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on uh, that town hall as well. Is there anyone that you would consider beyond the pale for you to appear with either on their show or to, you know, be on a panel alongside of, do you have a line that you would draw there? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, so I got <laughs> I got a request one time from oh, what is his name? He's like he was like one of the leaders in the alt right. And oh, um, Milo Yiannopoulos or Richard Spencer? 
Richard Spencer. Yeah. That's oh, right. boy. Spencer. Uh, so Richard Spencer uh, reached out and he was like, or his assistant or whatever was like, we'd love to have you. Because, of course, they watched Tucker Carlson tonight. So they're like, we'd love to have you on uh, with Richard Spencer. And I was like, I don't consider him to be a serious person. Like, there, there are people that I don't consider to be serious people, but they're maybe elected officials. Like, I interviewed Lauren Boebert. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't particularly consider her to be, like, a super serious person. But she's a person with power. So I, I think it's interesting and important to have conversations with her or with Marjorie Taylor Greene or with Carrie Lake or whomever. Um, but there are people where their their worldview doesn't view me as a human being or doesn't view right, other yeah. people as a human being. If you're somebody who is an anti-Semite or you're somebody who is, you know, racist or, or incredibly sexist, I don't see any reason for me to talk to you. And your audience isn't going to be moved. Your audience just wants to, you know, have something where it says Richard Spencer owns Black Professor. Um, right. And so I, I'm not going to be used as a pawn that way. Um, yeah. To your point, like th those people, they're not, like Milo Yiannopoulos specifically comes to mind. He's 100% not honest. He's playing a character and like that's now known publicly. You know what I mean? He's played a few different characters. Yeah. Yeah. So like for that, that's what I'm saying. That's a difficult thing to figure out how to engage if to engage at all, because if this person's not coming at it in good faith, it's like, well, if I go in in good faith, I feel like I'm a sucker. Right. I feel right. like you balance a, a few things. Number one is kind of what what you were saying, Jason, like, what do I hope to accomplish with this? Is there any reasonable expectation that I could reach some people and like shift their views, even if it's just a few people? That's number one. Number two, is this person, you know, remotely operating in good faith? Number three, are their views so odious and, you know, horrific and beyond the pale that, you know, you, you just shouldn't even engage with them in good faith? And number four, is this a person who is in a position of considerable power? Because you may have someone who has those horrifically odious views, but if they're an elected member of Congress, you can't just ignore that they exist. And perhaps there might be something good to come out of doing an interview with them and trying to put pressure on them in certain areas. So I do feel like it's like a complicated matrix that you have to consider in deciding whether it is a worthwhile use of your time and emotional energy, because I mean, these are like very fraught and high risk, you know, sort of like high wire acts that you're always dealing with when you go up against someone who is, you know, that ideologically different from you. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. There, it is, there is kind of a calculation you have to do. And, you know, also um, for people like you and me um, or both of you and me, it's a situation where, when you talk to certain people and people see that, it kind of hurts. In some ways, there can be damage to your own credibility with, with people you agree with, which has right. been kind of a, a difficult thing for me to navigate. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. like I said, people know me from going into these spaces and there are some people who cheer it on, like, thank you for, for being a voice there. And then there are others who are like, Oh, you're you're on Fox News for the money, and I'm like, I've never been paid <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. for the money. I don't. That they actually that actually really upsets me too. If, if people see what you do, and then they're like, you know, how dare you do it? And it's almost a disagreement up front 
as a matter of principle? Because look, if you were playing the role of Alan Combs and your whole job was to sit up there and just get beat up on all day, then I'd be like, okay, maybe there's a point, but you don't do that. You actually go in there and make your case and stand on what you believe in. And people could agree or disagree, but you're going in there to make your points. And if people object just for the sake of objecting or object, object up front, because nobody should ever, you know, converse in these, in these ways, that really gets under my skin. Cause it's like, these are people who should in theory be lining up behind you in these fights. Right. They I agree with you ideologically 90 plus percent of the time. And it's like, no, I'm just going to dunk on you and be mad at you because you're engaging with somebody on the right. right. I just that you're already doing something that it it is much easier to never talk to anybody you disagree a, with. Right. A, you know, circle of amen where everybody's on the same page and there's like no disagreement with that is much easier. It is much lower risk. And it's more boring, by the way, and just it, for the record. It is also yeah. more boring. You're doing something that has a lot of difficulty and reputational risk for you every time you do it. And so I I agree with Kyle that it's really obnoxious to me. I mean, the, to me, also, the whole conversation to get back to the Trump CNN town hall thing, the whole conversation about like, oh, you shouldn't even platform this individual, whether it's the former president of the United okay. States. You I, know, I just interject for yeah. a second because I did have an issue with that town hall, but it's not the same issue that many others espouse so well the the, idea the aoc argument was like how dare you talk to this person but it's like not only is he the former president that's one thing but he's also leading in the primary polls right now right so that wasn't my issue my issue is that they just are not good at their job you had caitlin collins who's a pushover who has no charisma whatsoever who even if she tried you didn't do well right Right. she had so that was my issue with it weren't that sort of substantive, I know, like but you should have handled it differently. It was just a freak out over doing it altogether. Uh, you're right. But I'm saying we should still, we should make the better criticism. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not just disagree with the people making the bad criticism, which you should do. But the bulk of the conversation should be like, if Mehdi Hassan hosted that on MSNBC, he would have done a good job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just think. What do you think, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. You weigh in. We're arguing over here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm not. You know, I definitely wouldn't make the platforming argument. I think from a business perspective, CNN made a terrible choice um, because now uh, the people who are slightly left of center, who were kind of their audience. And and one of the things that I've always said about CNN, you know, CNN was never a left wing network, not even left of center. They were an anti-Trump network. They were basically uh, the Lincoln Project with a cable (laughs) channel. True. Um, That's right. And so at any rate, they made a terrible uh, business decision because people left of center watched CNN. Um, not, you know, not as many as watched Fox or MSNBC, but they had, you know, their own little market share. Now those people don't trust them uh, because of the way that that whole thing worked out, particularly with the way they loaded the crowd, yes. the Trump supporters. Yep. I think that was the biggest mistake, even more than the, than choosing Caitlin Collins who was clearly overmatched. Yep. But you have Caitlin Collins, who I respect on some level, but I, I think, you know, Daily Caller alum, um, <laughs> Caitlin Collins versus Trump and the crowd. You mm-hmm. know, she was just, she was set up to fail in that situation. Yeah, and I want to um, say, it's not easy to interview Trump, right? That no, it's not a easy. a very difficult person That's right. to interview. But they made it a safe space. That's his, his point is so true. That you, they had only in the audience like Trump supporters and right-leaning independents, which were probably stealth Trump supporters anyway. Also, like you rigged the deck. They also told people they couldn't boo, only cheer. Oh, 
Come on. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. in advance, they were like, the audience can't boo, but you can applaud. And so um, there was an interview, I think it was in Puck, maybe, of somebody who was in the audience, who's a Republican, um, who said, you know, there were parts of this where, especially on the Eugene Carroll stuff, where there were audience members that he was losing and that were uncomfortable, but that's not reflected on TV because they were only allowed to applaud. So right. it, it did create, you know, a real uh, perception and I think reality issue for CNN. Your point on the business piece is, is absolutely right. They've been uh, losing to Newsmax. Yeah, actually, I'm going to give time. you all the credit for that, by the way. <laughs> you deserve all the credit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think CNN is homeless now. They're, they are yeah. they are a network without a home because the people left the center don't trust them. And the right is not going to all of a sudden start watching CNN when they can watch Newsmax or Fox or one of those smaller, you know, networks, the OANs and the RSBNs or whatever it is. You know, they, they can watch all of those other channels and countless people on Rumble or YouTube. They have no reason to turn to CNN now as their trusted choice just yeah. because CNN had uh, Trump. And and even they were still complaining about Caitlyn Collins, you know, so saying she was unfair to Trump because his whole political brand is victimization. Right. So they're still saying he was victimized by, by <laughs> CNN and he just, you know, beat up CNN and, the, and he turned the crowd as if the crowd wasn't stacked for him in the beginning. So it was a terrible decision by the people over there at at uh, at CNN, and I agree. Someone like Mehdi Hassan or even um, oh, what's her name, Joy Reid, or any of them would have given. I think they're more experienced. They would have given him tougher questions. They would have pushed back on some of his answers, and it, you know, it's not easy to to deal with Trump. So you need somebody who's ready to do that and isn't coming in as some sort of neutral kind of party it's it just won't be it'll just be a trump rally then yeah well to your point on cnn you're right they have no identity whatsoever you know previously i didn't agree with their identity but they certainly had an identity it was anti-trump like you pointed out um but they're lost right like they're trying to go back chris licht is trying to take it back to cnn classic mm -hmm. what was cnn classic cnn classic was be neutral Right. Just be neutral. Try to appease uh, everybody. It's very pro-establishment, but neutral, have inoffensive, you know, put seven wolf blitzers on the air who never say a single thing that's ever interesting or charismatic. That's it. like, here's the thing. I don't agree with this idea of like, try to be the enlightened centrist network. Right. There doesn't seem to be much of an audience for that. That's point number one. But point number two, even if you were going to do the enlightened centrist audience type thing, at least bring in people who are good at that. Like the person I brought this up to Crystal the other night, like. There's somebody who just started talking about politics recently. He was a sports guy originally. Now he talks a little bit about politics here and there. Who fancies himself an enlightened centrist, Stephen A. Smith. He's been number one in sports forever on ESPN. If you gave him a CNN show, at least people would watch that, right? Like if you're going to do the enlightened centrist thing, put somebody who's interesting and charismatic well, they are doing Charles and play Barkley. that role. That's the one good move they've ever mm -hmm. made, by, by the way. And and it's still, the jury's still out because I feel he has to be you know, as off the cuff as he is on NBA on TNT, right. which is one my favorite show on TV by far. Like he, he has to be just like that. I'm afraid that he might like try to reel it in a little bit. And Gail King is there to be the straight person bouncing off. But I hope, I hope, I mean, Charles Barkley, he's, 
anybody can just be honest there, it's him. Yeah. But like, I hope that I hope that he does because, uh, yeah, I love that. Guy. I don't know if he's gonna be good in that kind of space talking about those kind of issues. I'm I'm not positive on it. Oh um, really? Give, give him Shaq. Give yeah. him Shaq, Kenny, and EJ, and have them all talk politics. <laughs> I would love to watch that. I, I would just to watch fa uh, Shaq's facial reaction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And I love how childish they are. But it's great. Um, in that space, I, I'm not so sure. Stephen A. Smith, I think, is an amazing idea. I yes. think that would be really good, even though I disagree with Stephen A. Smith on a whole lot of issues. Same. Uh, he's interesting to watch. <laughs> I um, can't look away. I'm yeah. like, oh, he's talking. I got to listen. <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of people. ESPN has done really well with a lot of their personalities and their political views. I, I like to watch. Uh, Max Kellerman. I like JJ Reddick. I like, and I don't necessarily always agree with them. I like, um, what's the guy who's the LeBron super fan? Um, mm. I, I don't know. I'm mostly a Stephen oh, A. Nick stan. Nick um, he might be a Fox, Fox sports guy, but either way, all of them are interesting in stating their opinions. And CNN is like you said, they're, they're just putting, you know, people who are boring up there. Yeah. And I, didn't, you know, I didn't understand even having Don Lemon. Don Lemon was CNN classic. He didn't have a worldview. He doesn't yeah. have politics, you know? So I wasn't sad to see him go, but um, I, I just think that they are going in a direction where it, it's just not going to be interesting to watch. It's not going to add anything to the conversation. There's nothing that, you know, no clips from CNN are going to be produced that I'm gonna wanna watch, uh, that say something that makes me think. Uh, you know, if you're just reporting the news, I, I, like you said, I don't think there's a market for that. If so, people will watch the network news, the ABCs and, and NBCs and CBSs. There's no reason to go to cable news for that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I think Don Lemon could pop back up. Remember he used to, during the Obama era, he used to do all that like pull up your pants, black respectability <laughs> politics stuff. Yeah. Like there is a market for him to be that guy again and do that performance for the right and find, you know, an audience who would love to hear like a black gay man saying those things. I think that his best bet is to go to like Bravo or like, uh, yeah. you know <laughs> I what I mean? That. That's where yeah. he really wants to be. I mean, he does do the respectability politics or he did it at one time. Um, but I really think Don Lemon really doesn't have any real solid politics and the right isn't trying to hear from Don Lemon. They call oh, they'll, they'll welcome him in. They'll welcome him in. He says the right things. They'll welcome that, you know, that conversion. Yeah, that why does, I left the left. If he does the 180. That, that's the thing about the right. They'll accept anybody absolutely. doing the 180. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And the left will be like, even if you agree, I agree with you 100% now. Fuck off. Right. That's what the left does. <laughs> yeah, correct. Correct. Um, I would love for you, Jason, to give us a little window into the Newsmax world. Um, because okay. I feel like I have, you know, a decent sense of kind of what Fox News is up to, what their obsessions are. Like, what is the Newsmax play in conservative media? How are they positioning themselves? What are their particular, like, issue bugaboos that they're obsessed with at the moment? Well, again, the, the show that I'm on most, and I'll be on there tonight, um, is called Chris Plant, The Right Squad. I guess I'm the left on the right squad. Either way. Um and, you know, they've been talking about the border and, you know, they I think they have some points that aren't completely wrong about that. You know, there, there are issues, obviously, on the border. 
I obviously think that Congress on both sides, both the left and the right, or Democrats or Republicans rather, uh, have failed on immigration for the last three decades. Um, so you can talk about which administration did it right and which administration did it wrong. You know, the big thing that I, you know, I had a problem, of course, with the Trump administration and some of their policies, but Obama, you know, deported more people than than any other prior president. Um, and when Biden's idea, basically just recreated the Trump yeah, immigration. Obama policy. deported more than Trump, too. Child separation. That's that's the big thing. You know, we, we haven't seen Biden separate mothers from their children. He hasn't been quite that cruel, but definitely everything else he's basically adopted from from Trump. Um, and so they, they, you know, they have some complaints. A lot of it is about, you know, the border um, and, of course, transgenderism and <laughs> blood light and all this stuff. Um, so that's really where they're going. And they're trying to paint Fox News as turning to the left and being leftist now. The, the thing that um, drives me crazy, just to interject, is like they these people never gave Biden credit when most of his time in office, he was copying most of the policies of Trump on the border. There was Remain in Mexico. There was Title 42. Of course, Title 42 just came up. But like most of his time in office, he was pretty hawkish on the border. And I never heard anybody on the right say like, hey, I agree with you on that. It was always like he's in favor of open borders, which is just categorically untrue. So how do you navigate on like making that point to them? I feel like they just brush it off. You know what I mean? Like they don't acknowledge that they don't know what they're talking about on that. Right. I mean, and, and sometimes it's it's just plain falsehoods. Like, so for example, recently um I was on and there and there was a, a guy, um uh he was like I said, former head of CBP, nice guy off camera, really nice guy. But I stated the numbers, you know, and, and I was not praising Biden one bit, but I was like, you know, the numbers have gone from 10,000 encounters a day to 6,000 to 4,000. These are the official numbers that you can find on Newsmax.com. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's not like I went to Vox or something or the Daily Beast or whatever to find these numbers. These are the numbers. And, you know, he's like, those are wrong. Those are the wrong numbers. And, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, they're also sending these migrants to New York City for the simple purpose of overwhelming New York City and Chicago and other cities. No, that's wrong because they were the Biden administration was sending people to uh, all 50 states. And I'm like, yes, but Governor Abbott is sending them directly to New York City and outside of the vice president's residence and all these kinds of things in order to create havoc. Right. Like, it's not for the benefit of anyone. It's right. for the purpose of creating a bunch of havoc and being cruel. No, the migrants really want to go there. And I was like, then why? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to say this, but why were they getting off when they were stopping in red states, when they would stop in Georgia? Migrants were getting off. And Georgia actually went to Governor Abbott and were like, stop sending people through Georgia. Take another route, you know? And so, and Governor Abbott, of course, obliged. So clearly, this is not just, oh, this is where they want to go. This is where they want to drop them off. So it's clearly they it's clear that their agenda isn't just to talk about the border. It's to find a way to bash the current administration. And look, 
I have some issues with the current administration and, and some of the way they've handled things. I think some things that they're doing are actually the right approach. Um, you know, as a student of history, we know what we did in the Northern Triangle of, of uh, Central America. We know what we did as a country uh, in other parts of the world and in Haiti and in other places to create the political instability and, of course, climate and all the things that are adding to the migration. And I do think we need to address like root causes of this migration mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. you know, but that's a long-term project. That's going to be something that takes hold in 10 years. It's well, not something for a family right now. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But you don't have to go back in history. I mean, you could lift the sanctions on Venezuela and Cuba tomorrow. Absolutely. And, and a lot of migrants coming across the border now are Venezuelan. So this is like a direct impact that we're having immediately that you don't have to, you know, go back to Ronald Reagan era or whatever to see. You know, one of the things, Jason, as, as you're talking that that I struggle with in some of these settings is like you're very willing to criticize Joe Biden. Like not a problem mm. for you. We're very willing to criticize Joe Biden. Right. But it's a very asymmetrical landscape when you go in a place like Newsmax that will never criticize Donald Trump. Ever. And so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it creates a landscape where you're seen as like agreeing with them on some of the Biden criticisms, but then there's this dispute over the Trump criticisms and it makes it very uneven and kind of difficult to navigate. And I remember back in the days when I did go on Fox News a lot, and this was like, I'm talking back in like, you know, 2011, right? So this was a long time ago, but I would get the sense that even though my views were much more nuanced, if I gave ground on anything, it was basically taken as weakness rather than taken as like, oh, this is a person who's like thoughtfully engaging in this. It was like, no, she's she, even she sort of half agrees with them. So their point must be really correct if even this Democrat is willing to acknowledge the mistakes here. So how do you think about navigating those challenges? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, Crystal. I think um, because, you know, on the one end, I don't want to shill for anybody, you know, um, because then I'm just like, the people who are shilling for Donald Trump. Right. At the same time, and I want my my true views to be known because I I'm not, you know, an actor. You know, I'm I'm someone who has, you know, my own views and I'll make those known. Um unfortunately, and I and I hate to I hate to say this, but um a lot of times I if I have a criticism for Joe Biden, I will state that, but also state how Trump has also failed or sometimes failed worse, you know, in those same areas, you know? So one of the videos I was just, you know, when I was DMing with uh, Kyle, I saw this, this, you know, video where he was talking about the Trump administration. And one of the arguments that they always make about Trump is he was some sort of anti-war president. And Trump escalated in a lot of different areas, yes. you know? And, and that was something that, Kyle made clear in, in his clip, you know, uh, about his escalation in Syria, his escalation with Iran and his escalation in different places. So a lot of times, because there's so much pro-Trumpism, you almost have to, and, and I hate doing it, but you also sometimes have to do the what about. Um, and as much as I despise that as a topic, but when it's four on one or as a as a, a tool, when it's four on one, 
and everybody is, Trump's the greatest. We want to go back to the Trump years as if we don't remember 2020. Um, you know, that's what you have to do is to show that, yes, there are failures, but these are continuation. It's a continuation of failures um, from previous administrations, including Trump. To your point, Crystal, it's such a good point, too. And I never thought of it, really, that nuance can be interpreted as like weakness yeah. or half agreement. And then if there's somebody who's like hammering away on their partisan perspective over and over, it might give the appearance that like, well, you have to agree with them. They're totally convinced. So maybe they're right. Mm -hmm. That actually drives me crazy about communication. And again, I never really thought of that. I don't I, maybe the way out of that is more a matter of emphasis because I refuse to not say the thing that's true. Right? right. Like I have to criticize Joe Biden as a matter of principle if I think he's doing something wrong. But perhaps the way out of it is a matter of emphasis. Because so when you go on to make the criticism of Trump, it's more of a and this is the part where you guys are dead wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's more aggressive because we've had this conversation about political labels and the way people label themselves. Like Tim Pool, for example, categorizes himself as sort of a centrist. He says, I'm a centrist. I'm a what does he call himself? Like a fence sitter or what, something like that. Classical liberal. Isn't he one of those? Guys? Yeah. Every now and then he throws that one out there, too. <laughs> but like so and we talked about this, right, Crystal? It's like you have your nominal political label, which is how you describe yourself. Right. And everybody's got one of those where, hey, I think I'm X. Right. But then there's also your effective political label, which is like, what impact are you having on the body politic? Mm -hmm. How do other people view what you're saying? Right. Right. So we could say I'm a centrist all day long till the cows come home. But guess what? If I go to your YouTube page and 20 out of 20 videos are dunking on the left and you're not going after the right at all, you can call yourself a centrist forever. You are an effective right winger. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. also trying to like marry up you know, how you view your politics with how you present your yeah. politics to the world. And I think also you do have to take into consideration, okay, what's what audience are you speaking to and what is your goal in this interaction? So in a space like this one where our audience is going to be mostly aligned leftists, there's no there's not a big risk in like leaning into the criticisms of Joe Biden because kind of in our in this space, one of the goals is to educate people about some of the failures of the Democratic Party and to make them better, right? I think there is a risk, but go ahead. So that's, but that's, you know, that's one pot potential goal. When you're on Fox News, listen, they're already sold on the Democratic Party sucks, right? They're already there. So the goal is more appropriately, like, how do I pull people out of some of the, you know, right, like, right wing thinking or off of the just Trump propaganda bandwagon? And I actually thought Marianne uh, handled this in her recent, I don't know if you saw this, Jason, she did an interview with uh, Sean Hannity recently. And he wanted to use her to say like, Joe Biden's infirm and he's too old and he can't get a thought out. And um, first of all, I think she's been very careful in general about not leveling personal criticism against Joe Biden and has been uncomfortable like with anything that might sound ageist. But she actually said really clearly, I'm not playing your I'm game. not going on to Fox yeah. News here just to bash Joe Biden. I have differences with him. Here's what I, but I want to talk to you about what I want to do. And I actually thought that was very effective because she kind of directly called out the game they were playing there. Right. No, I, I, I so I met Marion Williamson. She came to Newsmax the other day and an incredibly nice person. And I, I agree with that approach. That's a really good approach is um, to not go into that kind of criticism thing. I, I don't get asked that. I, you know, a lot of times I think I'm, they try to use me as like a heel. Um, mm. and my best defense is is to make a strong argument. Um, 
And, you know, my last Fox News uh, uh, appearance was with Lawrence Jones, another really nice guy who, who I really, you know, I root for as a person, um, but disagree with politically. Yeah. You know, and again, he, he you know, I just think I, I believe that I made strong arguments um, to defeat those talking points that, that they come armed with. Um, I think that's that's the best thing you can do. But a lot of times when it is somewhere where you have a genuine disagreement with the administration, it is a really, really difficult thing. And even I'll say this, even your show where you, you're trying to make, you know, the Democratic Party better, there are people on the right. Um, who will use that. Right, yeah. Of course, yeah. Use a clip and be like, even leftists think Joe Biden is failing. Yeah, (laughs) right. That's why- They're always gonna try that kind of manipulation. Yeah, I've I've had to evolve and grow on this exact issue for that reason. There was probably a time where my criticisms were leaning too heavy into the Democrats. And then you start attracting an audience. Because again, sometimes the nuances and the specifics of the criticism don't land. And all people hear is he's beating up on Democrats. He doesn't like Democrats. And their default takeaway might be, I guess the Republicans might be a little better. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. And so then I had to, you know, grow and be more nuanced and realize that uh, an effective political label is a thing. Like I might be a leftist, but if all I do is beat up on Democrats, it's going to come across like I'm not that. So I need to make sure it's balanced with a good amount of beating up on the right. And it's not like there's no material there. There's even more material to beat up on the right. And it's just a matter of putting an emphasis on the proper things. That doesn't mean that, you know, oh, I'm never going to lay a glove on Democrats. No, of course not. I, I don't have that in me. I have to be honest about it. But it's a matter of balancing out the coverage. Um, now, you mentioned Richard Spencer earlier. I wanted to give you a similar uh, position that I was put in. I mean, it's not perfectly analogous, but it's somewhat analogous. So for the 2020 election, I did the uh, Joe Rogan's like election special. It was him, Tim Dillon and me. Yeah. And uh, Alex Jones had been on Joe Rogan's show like a couple weeks before. And Joe made the mistake of bringing up like, oh, I'm going to be doing an election special. And so Alex invited himself to that shit live on air. (laughs) He was like, oh, great. I'll come there, brother. It'll be awesome. We'll do the election special. Have a great time. And Joe (laughs) was like, uh, he was sort of like, like, I'll talk to you off air type shit. He was trying to give him that sort of a vibe. Like, let's, we'll figure this out. Right. Like, (laughs) and then for, it looked like for maybe four or five days, I was sitting there convinced I'm going to have to be on an election special with Alex Jones. Oh my God. And so that puts me in an awkward position and it brings up everything we talked about earlier about how do you go into this, right? Like I had to navigate all of that in this short time frame where I was like, well, if I go super hard against Alex Jones and call him out for all of his fucking bullshit, everybody in the audience is going to hate me. I'm going to change no minds. And if anything, it's going to go in the other direction and people will dislike me. Right. Right. But I can't just let him get away with all of his shit because I'm not some cuck who's going to sit there and let this guy who's wrong about everything like, you know, spout off with no consequences whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I landed on this position where it's like I got to pick my spots. Right. And I got to be punchy, quick, in and out. Here's why that's wrong. Bloom, bloom, bloom. Next. You know what I mean? Like, I got to be smooth with it. But thankfully, at some point, Joe, Joe reached out to Alex and was like, like, we, I didn't really invite you. So, like, <laughs> no, you're not, you're not coming to the shit. Because he brought me as the straight guy who's going to, like, I'll give them the information while Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan fuck around and bullshit. Right. And I'll be there to give them the real information. And so I think he realized I can't have the straight guy with the world's biggest psychopath over well, here. <laughs> you can't really have anyone with Alex. Joe I know. That's the thing. How do you engage? How do you engage? Well, he's just fills, takes up all the oxygen. Fills the whole room. room. The whole room. I mean, when Joe has Alex on, it's like Joe, it's barely Joe's podcast. Alex no. just <sighs> blows up the whole 
thing. And the intergalactic aliens are invading and you don't even know Joe Rogan. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's completely insane, but he's also extraordinarily talented. So it's I know. Not that's, thing to I do. hate that, man. I hate how some really gr- terrible people are like super talented. Super you talented. said, hey, keep it real. You said that about Nick Fuentes. You're like, God damn it. He's interesting to listen to, even though he's a total Horrible. psychopath. Horrible. <laughs> Things he, he just said he would, he wanted to marry a 16 year old girl when he's 30 because he wants the milk right away. I mean, it's horrible. Oh. Right. But yeah. Terrible yeah. people. But yeah, it's not yeah, easy it, to navigate those situations, no. I guess, is the bottom line. No, it's not. I'm a pretty calm person, but as the father to a 12-year-old girl, if someone said they wanted to marry a 16-year-old, that might be time for me to take the jacket off. Yeah. Listen, I, got a, I have a 15-year-old, and she is a child. I mean, anyway, right. we'll put put that aside. I was wondering, do you find it more difficult? Like you said, Lawrence Jones, who I also, I used to co-host, but he would fill in on rising. So I know him too. And like you said, very nice person off air, even though we have some very wild disagreements as well. Um, you know, you, you've mentioned other people who are like very nice off air that your CBP guy that you were up against. Does that make it more difficult for you to be forceful against them in that moment? And does it make it more difficult for you to be critical of them if you're, you know, doing commentary later on about something and saying that they've done? So a lot of times I'll make it clear. um, I'll never take a shot that someone doesn't expect. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't like people know the CBP guy whose name is Mark Morgan. He knows that I disagree with him on immigration. You know what I mean? So he he it's not like I'm gonna be like, you know, and his breath smells bad, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> take a shot. Though. Um, you know, in, in in that way. Um, or you know, at Tucker or or many other people. Um, I, I I'm just not gonna do that. But what I will do is criticize you in areas where you're expecting the criticism from me. Um, so if you're, if you're a good person, if you're a nice person, um, I'm not going to go overboard in trying to like take you out. And I certainly, I, you know, I think it weakens your argument when you start talking about people's character a lot yeah. of times. Um, yeah. I, I want to make it clear that even if I, I think you're a person of bad character, <laughs> bad faith, I want to make it clear that I'm attacking your ideas and not you as a person. Yeah. Um, so especially if we're friendly, like I, I tell people all the time, I think, um, you know, Tucker's ideas are bat crap crazy. You know what I mean? I think they're insane. In some cases, they're dangerous. Um, but I'm not going to attack him and say he's a bad person, um, you know, as a human being. I think the distinction that you're making is between like, just professionalism versus non-professionalism. And I think you can find a little bit of both in every walk of media. Yeah. So there's some new media, independent media people who are very professional yeah. and they handle it everything like an adult. And there's some who are not and they handle it like children and vice versa. Even in the professional world, maybe you'll find more who are more professional because there's the expectations that it's very, the setting is very like official mm-hmm. that like you should be more professional and, and civil. It, it has been my experience that a lot of times um, right commentators more have the view of like, this is this is like part of the game. You know, like they have more of the view of like, this is a performance. Not to say that they don't believe everything that they're saying, but there is more of a like, this is my job. This is a performance. 
Whereas, um, you know, the the liberals and lefties that I worked with at MSNBC, like they might be wrong about some shit, but they really believed it. You know, it was less of a this is just a game and this is a performance. And so I think when you have that sense of, you know, this is all like we're doing all playing our part and doing our thing, which comes from like, you know, also these sort of like really deeply capitalist beliefs that like, yeah, I'm doing very hard and I'm making my money. Yeah, very vapid. But when you have that view that we're just playing our parts in a game, then it's easier to take things less personally. And so even, you know, with liberals and lefties, a lot of times, even if you're just talking about their ideas, it it becomes very, they feel very personally attacked from the disagreement in a way that I've seen a lot of people on the right be able to shake off some, you know, really vicious and, you know, direct attacks and be able to move forward as like nothing happened. Yeah, no, I, I agree to, yeah, I think I agree with that. Again, I'm so rarely in front of liberals or leftists that it's, it's uh, you know, I can't fully say, but I can say, like, um, a lot of the right-wing people that I've known, in particular, a few, there, there are a few that I think they their politics are who they are. Like, they have no personality outside of mm. their politics. Um, but there are others where we can text about our kids and our family and, and sports and, you know, guns or whatever. And uh, I'm not a huge gun guy, but, I, you know, I'm a gun owner. Um, you know, I guess that's my one right wing thing. But <laughs> we are, know, too. I, We're gun owners, too. So it's OK. <laughs> oh, good, good, yeah. I'm, I'm not like crazy gun person. I just, you know, I'm a gun owner. That's it. Um and if you, you saw my emails from those crazy right-wing people, you'd understand why. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I try to keep... There are times where I get frustrated. I was frustrated yesterday, like I said, with that conversation, because I think in the beginning, I was, you know, kind of charmed a little bit. You know, I'm thinking we're all, we're all friendly here. We disagree. And, it, it you know, it, it went, it felt a little different than that on air. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I get over it and I see people as human beings. And I think that's the important thing. So Um, they're good at that too. That's, that's my question for you. Cause I covered your Jordan Neely back and forth on Newsmax where it was three versus one. And I thought you did an absolutely phenomenal job. And like, I wonder in a scenario like that, when the cameras go off, they're still cool. They're still, you know, nobody's like still arguing about it or whatever. Um, you know, we have discussions about it, but you know, there's, there's no argument, you know what I mean? We realize we have to work together, you know that's what awesome. I mean? Yeah, that's great. So yeah. if, we, if we come in and we hate each other, you know, it, it makes, it makes your job harder, you know, right. anybody who's worked the job that they hate and when they hate their coworkers, um, I think the, the best thing is to not take it personally, um, and to go in and make the strongest argument you can. And, you know, if one or two percent of people, like we said, are are persuadable and be okay with reaching those people. And, you know, with that Jordan Neely thing, I've gotten a lot of responses from a lot of people who saw it that I didn't think would see it otherwise. And they're like, I saw it on YouTube or I saw it here. I saw it there. And thank you for standing up. And so it is reaching, you know, sometimes you will reach uh, a larger audience and people who maybe maybe are undecided about the issue. And they'll come around to the right way. <laughs> my my last question for you is uh, 
do you consider like in your personality, are you like conflict averse? Are you comfortable with confrontation? Because I hate, I hate confrontation. I hate, hate conflict. It's very difficult for me to like sort of overcome that when I do need to have a tough exchange with someone. Is that, is it uncomfortable for you? Or do you feel like you're a person who's sort of like generally comfortable in these um, situations that are tense and have some friction? Again, it, I think I don't like the personal conflict, but the exchange of ideas, like I was on with, uh, we had Matt Gates mm -hmm. on a couple of times. And I think that it was like when the cameras were off, we were totally friendly. But when they were on, you know, we had some serious back and forth. But it never felt as though we were screaming over top of each other or not letting one another speak. And one of the things about me is I'm a teacher. So if you know anything about teachers, we hate being interrupted. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's that's something that I've had to kind of, you know, not take personally, not get too upset about. But at the same time, you know, it's just about getting your side into the conversation. It's not about disliking anybody. It's and you know, I don't like the fact that sometimes it's all, you know, the what they say on the show is, you know, the Democrats, you know, they want to hurt your children or they want to transition them or whatever it is, whatever their argument is. Um, you know, my job is just to stand up and, and tell the truth and say, you know, what's true and what's not. Well, Jason, I got to tell you, man, I, I love the work that you do. In fact, so I saw your segment on Mediaite. Um, I really hope Mediaite keeps clipping out a lot of your segments on Newsmax, because I think you do a great job and it certainly gives me something to talk about. It's very rare you come across somebody who goes in the lion's den on a regular basis and consistently holds it down where I could sit there and say, that's a great point. That's a point that I would have made and he made it how I would have made it and all that stuff. And so, you know, nothing but the utmost respect for you. And I have to say, you do sort of make me feel like I might want to get back on Fox News and do a couple guest appearances. Really? I mean, I did it <laughs> twice before, right? I did it twice before. The second time I went on, it went pretty viral. Um, it was great. There was the, the guy's not there anymore who had me on though. Leland Vittert is his name. He works at News Nation now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, yeah, Leland. I know Leland. Yeah, Le uh, you know what his problem was? He was too honest about the 2020 election. He was like, I think basically, I think Trump is full of it, <laughs> and the <laughs> done after that. It's it's, it's it's terrible. It's a shame. But you know, watching you do what you do, I get inspired, and I'm like, I should probably uh, take a step on Newsmax or take a step on. Uh, One America News or, or or Fox News and just have some fun because I did. I'm like you. Uh, and like you, I don't like the personal confrontation. Yeah. But if you make it just about the issues, oh, yummy in my tummy. Let's have some fun. Yeah. No, so I, anyway, don't like it. I don't like any. Yeah, I, I, I understand. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, Jason, <laughs> plug plug everything uh, you want to plug. Let people know how they can follow your work. Um. So I'm, I'm on... Uh, Blue sky. I don't know if that's taken off yet or if it's <laughs> a little bit. I, I, I see people talking about it. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm on there. You can definitely follow me on there. You can follow me on Facebook. I've been starting to stay away from Twitter, but you know, occasionally I'll peek my head in. I usually talk sports on Twitter, but you know, you can follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, I also have a podcast called the working class elites. Um, definitely come and check out the working class elites podcast. And hopefully we can have one of you or both of you or both of you at the same time on the podcast. That would be great. I would love um, to. Yep, we'd be happy. And I also that. write for Newsweek a lot. So you can see some of my work on Newsweek. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, Jason, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure.
All right, that was Jason Nichols. Um, really cool guy. Yeah. Like him. Uh, highly recommend everybody uh, check out his segments when he's on Newsmax. He was on Fox News. I don't know if he still goes on Fox News, but he was on Fox It sounds like he has a contract now with Newsmax, so maybe he's not allowed on Fox News. I'm not exactly sure how that works. I should have asked him, but anyway, he's uh, one of the lefties who sort of holds it down in the arena. Yeah, I mean, huge respect because it is not an easy thing to do. And well, it's also not easy because people, like, go after guys like him for even engaging. Even, exactly. And that's and like, that's screw you, man. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. Because it's so much easier to sit around with a bunch of people, you know, on MSNBC or wherever that agree with you and just say, yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Yeah, nobody watches that shit. And it's it's so much more difficult to go in and go up against freaking Carrie Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Bober. And I know this guy, he's talking about from the CBP too, Mark Morgan. He's like a Fox News mainstay. I've seen him on Tucker and other places as well. That's really challenging. And um, are you going to change a lot of minds in Newsmax, in a Newsmax space? No, probably not. But even if you're just giving people a sense of like, oh, here's a Democrat who isn't an evil, like child-eating pedophile that in and of itself can be useful. And there's no doubt about it that if you do it enough times and you speak to enough people, there are going to be people who say, you know what, I didn't really see it that way, but I do now. Yeah, and even if it's a net change of, like he said, 1% or 2%, that's a lot of people when the audience is 300,000 people. That's right. You know? That's right. So, Yeah. Well, he um, handles it incredibly well. Like I said, mad respect for him, being willing to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad because you were you found him and, and wanted to have him on. I'm really glad you did because um, he's he's impressive to me. Well, I just there needs to be more like him. You know, I mean, he comes with a very unique skill set, just like you do and dealing with Sagar and everything like it, it's not easy to find people like that. But there should be more Jason Nichols out there, you know, because the right is very evangelical. Yes. You know what I mean? They're very evangelical. They'll and, go out and preach their crazy gospel. And the, the left world. is not, you yeah, know, we're and it's like and correct. More interested in finding, you know, fault in everybody. Correct. Their own yeah. Side than going out and combating the other forces. Yeah. And there's something very uh, sort of pure and innocent about the whole like watching somebody who you agree with on one of these outlets and being like, yeah, go get them. You know what I mean? <laughs> So you're going to try to go on Newsmax? Uh, I mean, I, look, I, I think it'd be fun. I mean, I, I, like I said, I went on Fox News twice. Both times I took the segment, posted it on the YouTube channel. It got huge views both times. Um, certainly the second time it went mega viral and it got, you know, generated coverage from everywhere in independent media world, some articles and in, in outlets. So like, I mean, think about it. The, the whole YouTube independent new media world, it's like tailor made for me to be more like funny and interesting and you know, make fart noises with my mouth and scream, but also make arguments at the same time. So it develops a certain skill set and taking that skill set and applying it to the old media world, which is very like stodgy and stuck up and here are, here are my talking points. It's like, you guys can't really handle us like the YouTubers. You know what I mean? You can't handle us. It's hard for them to deal with people like me. And that creates a spectacle. Well, the other know? piece is, you know, in the context of that conversation, we're sort of thinking of the audience for those exchanges that Jason is has having as just being the Newsmax audience or just being the Fox News audience. But of course, that's not the reality now. Well, now the if reality you have is you get moment, more. Yeah. If you have a moment that people find interesting or hot or heated or where you handle yourself well, it goes out to the wider world. And so it can have more of an impact than you might have if it was just siloed in the Newsmax. Correct. Audience. It will get more views on my channel than it will originally on Newsmax. Without a doubt. I mean, I'm sure the Fox, same thing. I, the show I was on was like a Sunday show, middle of the day, very few people watching, relatively speaking, compared to yeah. other time slots. But on my channel, I got, you know, I don't know, 
500,000, a million, something like that. It's like, that's more than the original thing. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. And he, he's got me interested in that again. So we'll see what happens. That'll but. be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. All right, guys, we love y'all to death. Thank you, as always, for listening to us babble. You can always support the show on Substack. Um, and remember, we don't talk to any advertisers or corporations or anything for this. We build everything small dollar donations and up. So much love to everybody who already supports the show. And if you haven't, please consider it. You get the video. You get it a day early. Uh, if you sign up on Substack, everybody else can listen for free, the audio podcast. All right, we love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>